Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, <laughs> the fan. It's Ben Ennis. Is it Friday yet, Ben? It's Are Blake we, Murphy. It couldn't be further from Friday, Blake Murphy. No, someone's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I, <laughs> I reckon you'd get your ass kicked for saying something like that. <laughs> Thursday, this week, Thursday is my Friday because it's, it's March break. I'm going to spend one day of, of March break with, with my chillin'. So, so you got a, a whole show to yourself on Friday. You can break out the real guests for Friday's show. Friday will be the Blake Murphy show. I have... My own show tomorrow. I have it loaded up Friday in my head already. <laughs> With all the best guests there there are on planet Earth. I mean, I do have some locked down already, oh, yeah. Really, yeah. I work ahead. <laughs> good, good you. Don't you. Do, you don't do a solo. Well, you know this very well. You yes. don't do a solo two-hour show all summer without making sure you've got guests lined up when that's, you need them. That's smart. Uh, hopefully, they all come through for you. Yeah, you've got the show tomorrow short. Yeah. Right? Well, you're saying, like, I don't work as hard as you? No. I mean, you don't. You're you're taking Friday off to go play with your children. I'm taking tomorrow, quote unquote, off to go do different work. Yeah, yeah. That's your. But that's kind of a day off because you don't have real days. Kind of well, a day for off you, for you. If you're only working one of your jobs in a day, that's a day off for you in Blake Murphy land, right? Where you just say yes to every opportunity. You're all over the place, overexposed in every medium we have on Sportsnet. Overexposed is absolutely right. I can't imagine you're a Sportsnet listener, a viewer, a reader, and aren't sick of me. So <laughs> no, That's not true. Um, if that's the case, let Ben know, and I'll just take one or two segments of show off. <laughs> just put my feet up. Don't do that either. How, how was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? It was. I did. It was, uh, it was a very sports-heavy weekend. I was in here Boy, Saturday howdy. doing uh, in-game updates for Jays and then Jays Talk post-game. Again, like another, yeah, <laughs> another job. Um, Throw that one into the mix. And then, yeah, I, I did. I pivoted from work sports to, to fan sports for Saturday night. There was a very good UFC card, mm-hmm. um, or a very weird UFC card. I don't know if I should call it good. It was good on paper, and then it mostly just turned out odd uh and then yeah yesterday was like a marathon kind of on the couch slash spring training spring cleaning day for me like the jays played Mm. and canada had the world baseball classic game it was the oscars there was some good nba it was selection sunday Mm. brad guju winning his fifth briar it's pretty good pretty loaded up weekend of not really doing anything but kind of feeling like i still did some stuff what about you yeah i i did a lot of sports watching uh and i mean so much of that was canada great britain which could still be going if there was not a mercy rule but thank goodness there is uh as as that game still went three and three quarters of an hour um lasting only seven innings sorry six and a half innings it was Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll get a little further in, in depth and we'll talk to uh canada third base coach tim leeper later on this hour but that was hey good for canada they got the victory that was that was painful to watch, and I love baseball. I I disagree with you. I, I thought it was – so this is the thing. It is the – it's a round-robin game between the fifth seed and the fourth seed in that pool. Yeah. I did not have edge-of-my-seat expectations for that game. Yes, it ran a little bit long, but like I said, Sunday for me was a – like I went full spring clean. I gutted my apartment. It was just like doing stuff around the place while baseball was on in the background. And it was kind of a perfect game for that because, like, you're you're invested and it's fun to, like, hear some of the stories. Also, 
that broadcast crew that we're getting for the world feed um, who, with our own Buck Martinez on it and our pal John Morosi, that is just a tr- they're having so much fun yeah, doing those games. Uh, it, it's a blast. Um, so that element's fun. And then it's just like it's nice to have baseball on in the no, background that you're, you're not like locked me... into. No, no, I get it. It was not like I saw people joking that, oh, this is Great Britain's foray into baseball fandom. And the broadcast kept talking about all the pubs back in, yeah. in Britain that would have been airing the game. And if that was the case, nobody would ever watch it again. It was <laughs> it was not a good like it was not Canada, a straight up good baseball game. But Canada it was walked 16 times. It was perfect. Six Sunday innings. background noise great britain by the way uh just scored two runs to tie to pull into a tie with columbia i yeah no i mean the americans had trouble with them in the opening game of the tournament six two and i mention it because in a format this short and this tight where only two teams uh, of the the five in the pool go through a team like columbia that has already pulled off one upset and a team like great britain that you've already beaten that outcome being great britain over columbia maybe it doesn't impact the who gets through because of the U.S. and Mexico and Canada still needing to take care of business there certainly helps to push for third in the pool if that's something that you you, you care about and that was your goal going in. Uh, it shouldn't be, but let's be realistic about a, a pool with the U.S. and Mexico in it. Mm-hmm. No, good stuff. yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Mexico with a big win over the Americans. Mexicans have actually dominated that matchup in World Baseball Classic history. And, they have more wins than losses against the Americans. And another unbelievably fun game. Another yeah. high-scoring one and with a little slower pace, not quite to the Canada-Great Britain extent. Um, but that was a blast. The the bat flip. You've got mm-hmm. Rowdy, our old friend Rowdy Tellez, um, just loving life on the bench. Um, that's a team with a ton of personality and obviously a ton of talent. Um, I think so. And, and look, the U.S., the U.S. on paper is is a top three team in this tournament. There's no question about that. Um, and for the good of the game, you want them to get through and you want them to be a part of the big moments in the knockout stage. Really good for entertainment value and excitement that they appear vulnerable yes. right now. And they have to trot Brady Singer out to throw well, 10,000 pitches. This is it. I mean, I yeah, I, I didn't criticize, but my... My eyebrows were raised at at the lack of pitching depth that Team Canada has. But then you look around the tournament, the pitching part is is the hardest part of the equation, right? And then you got guys that, like Clayton Kershaw wanted to pitch, wasn't allowed to pitch. But there's a, it's, it's a much more dif- a difficult sell to the pitchers to go play in this tournament than it is for the position players. And to the teams letting them go, right? right. You, you look at... You know, if you were the Blue Jays, say, and and let's assume a scenario where Jose Brios doesn't get chased uh, after three outs, um, and it's possible he could go deep into that start. Well, what what are you more comfortable with Jose Brios doing if you could pick his World Baseball Classic appearances in a vacuum? His first one or two outings where he's only throwing 25, 30 pitches anyway, he's just trying to get comfortable? Or do you want him pitching those like like... Marcus Stroman threw four plus innings the other day and like got in the 60s for pitches. That's the workload that I would not love mm-hmm. to be letting a player go for if I'm a team. Um, relievers, though, and, and Buck Martinez actually told a good story about how they, uh, when he managed the United States uh, way back, how they built that roster was basically like, yeah, we're not going to have many starters who are allowed to come. And even if they are, they're not going to be super stretched out. What if we just have every closer in baseball? Yep, that's smart. And even Mitch Bratt, who is a 19-year-old getting the start against the Americans tonight. I know that for this part of the tournament, I think the pitch limit is 65, but the Rangers have only limited him to 50 pitches. So they're hoping to get a couple outings out of him and or a it, couple innings out of him. And it's certainly a case where, especially if you're a team like Canada that does not have a ton of major league talent, um, this is a case where 
as they're putting those rosters together, as they're coming up with the pitching plan and laying out who pitches when, um, that's a conversation where Ernie Witt or whoever is the the conduit to the actual teams, you're following that like their development plan and their ramp up plan to a T because you don't want to upset that franchise. You don't want to upset that player's relationship. Um, So yeah, it, it, it did raise my eyebrows a little bit when we see the initial probable pitchers and you're throwing out the fourth youngest starter in WBC history against mm-hmm. that U.S. juggernaut lineup, and then you look at where every other pitcher falls, and it's like, yeah, that that kind of makes sense with with what you're dealing with here. Well, and yeah, again, you got an American team that does look loaded, but has kind of stumbled out of the gate again, like a narrow victory over Great Britain in their first uh, game, and then losing yesterday to Mexico. Mike Trout finally got a hit, but he was like 0 for 6 to start his World Bay uh, Baseball Classic career, a guy who has a very limited postseason track record, so you wonder a little bit about that. You know, you know, you know who's not uh, over six who? and and also has a limited postseason track record and is also on Mike Trout's team, uh, Shohei Otani, yeah. who has just been, I mean, everything you could have possibly wanted out of probably the biggest baseball star in the world at this point, short of maybe Aaron Judge, but I think globally yes. it's it's probably Shohei. Correct. Uh, he is absolutely dominating. It's amazing. Yeah, it's almost like he's um, a once in a lifetime talent, which he is. Once in a lifetime talent, yes, because of the two way play, not the most impressive Japanese pitcher in this tournament so far, though. Okay. You got the 23-year-old um, Sasaki, I believe his, his last name is, um, who's just touching 100 all the time. Yeah, Roki Sasaki, mm-hmm. uh, who threw, who hit 100 more times in his first WBC outing than all but like seven pitchers did in all of baseball last year. That's pretty good. Um, I guess this was our top story because we've been talking about it for a while. Uh, Again, Tim Leeper coming up in just a second. There was some Blue Jays news today. Not all of it good. In fact, it it started off with a a real head scratcher that during John Schneider's media availability before the game against the Red Sox uh, in Dunedin today, which the Blue Jays won, by the way. Alec Manoa got touched up a little bit, but nothing matters in that regard. What does matter is injuries, and the Blue Jays suffered a bit of one today as Ricky Tiedemann has shoulder soreness, which sounds bad, and he's going to be shut down, which sounds also bad, but only for like a couple of days. He's going to throw a side session on Wednesday, which is, yeah, for for a guy who's 20 years old, just getting his feet wet in the professional ranks of, of baseball, you want to be uber, uber careful. This does feel like that's what this is, but uber careful for me is like a week off, couple of weeks off, maybe like, you know, at the end of spring training, maybe we see him once more in, in a spring game. It is, I, I, I can't say that I recall hearing this type of a diagnosis for a pitcher as young as, as Ricky Tiedemann and with as much upside as Ricky Tiedemann. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much that's true. Like, we just went through the stuff with Painter in, in yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, he has a torn UCL. Yeah. Well, he has a sore forearm. We'll see yeah. if the... No, it's torn. It's partially torn UCL. And he's not going to have surgery, but he's going to return, hopefully, to pitching at some point this season. But, like, that's a months and months and months thing for the Phillies. Look, I'll tell you. I've had a torn ligament in my elbow for, like, three years now so that know. I haven't had surgically repaired. If you are not throwing baseballs 100 miles an hour, it doesn't really come up that often. Sure. Um, Ricky so Tiedemann... don't do that, Ricky Tiedemann <laughs> does... Uh, although second start, it should be noted, uh, was not throwing those fastballs nearly as hard as his first start. And I think that this is where it's an interesting time to revisit the piece that Arden Zwelling did on Ricky Tiedemann's development plan for sportsnet.ca last week, where so much of this, like I know for a long history of baseball, there was the the so-called Verducci rule where it's like 25 innings or 30 innings on top of the last season. 
right? That's how you develop. And, and Arden went into, without giving away state secrets, a lot of how the Blue Jays try to collect and monitor more useful data than just innings pitched on their pitching prospects and why Tiedemann was taken out of single A to go to the development complex last year before he went to double A, what the plan looks like for him this year. So there is a lot going on here underneath the hood beyond just shoulder sore after X number of appearances. Mm -hmm. Um, They track everything from you know, your heart rate during your practice outings to like how much you're benching and, and stuff like that to see where the, the weaknesses are and where the risk factors are. You'd have to hope that given, given that a, nobody really knew, but like this happened a couple days ago yeah, and it's only now being talked about only because he probably would have thrown it tomorrow well, on that's schedule. It. So this is my, my tinfoil hat, uh galaxy brain uh, where it's going. And until somebody proves me wrong, I'm, I'm going to believe it. Ricky Tiedemann had been pitching on Tuesdays, right? He had been going six days between his appearances in Grapefruit League. Start- As he did last year, but yep. it was on Fridays. Okay, so he was pitching on Tuesdays. First outing was against a Tigers team that had basically no major leaguers in it, and he dominated throwing, although he, he faced Javi Baez, notably, right? That was the one major leaguer, and he blew him away. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. Second outing was against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are, in fact, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I guess he faced a guy who's had a nice little career in Andrew McCutcheon, and... I guess, yeah, Carlos Santana did take him yard. But again, it's the Pittsburgh Pirates. Tomorrow is that, like, as far as Grapefruit League appearances go, is as glamorous as they get. It's in Tampa against the Yankees. The Yes Network has all of the Yankees spring training games. And notably, Alec Manoa broke through and, like, kind of entered everybody's consciousness in spring training a couple of years ago with a spectacular outing against a Yankees team in Tampa that had a bunch of regulars in it because as the home team, generally that's what you do for your home fans. I, it's galaxy brain a little bit here thinking either the Blue Jays don't want the Yankees to get a look at Ricky Tiedemann or they're thinking, hey, let's let's make sure that it's a very positive experience for Ricky Tiedemann and keep him away from Aaron Judge in spring training. I'm sorry to do this to you. I think you are dramatically overthinking it. I think if you were, if that were your logic, you would not make up an injury as the reason hey, to do every, that. No, they're not making it up. You know who has a sore soul, uh, sore shoulder? Everyone, everybody who throws a baseball a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. You could say, yeah, everybody. That's you, you, you see those big bags of ice they put on their shoulder. That's not for fun. Okay, so let's let's Men in Black erase your mind here for a second. <laughs> oh, you you do. know all the Ricky Tiedemann stuff, but you don't know this shoulder stuff. Yeah, and I just tell you, oh hey, John Schneider just talked and laid out the probables for the week. Uh, Tiedemann's going to throw Wednesday without the shoulder thing. Would you have recalled that his first two spring appearances happened to happen on Tuesdays? Would you have have done that? Would you have thought anything at all of seven days between appearances instead of six during spring training? See, they could have done that and it wouldn't have been on my radar. But now that they've called it a a sore shoulder. God, it's hard to say sore shoulder. No, it's not. For me, it is. Okay. We're going to put you on the (laughs) shut you down for for a couple minutes with a sore mouth. Yeah. Uh, No. I, this was on my radar because, yeah, sore shoulder, like such a quick recovery time that he's throwing on Wednesday. His normal throw day in a spring training game would have been on Tuesday. It's just it's raising a little bit of alarm bells. Again, you can try and disprove it with uh, your theories, but that's all they are is theories. Unless somebody has some hard facts, I will believe what I believe. And uh, and that's that's that also. Yeah, that, that's fine. Yeah, you can okay. believe that. I just don't think that they would – I don't think they would – make up or reveal an injury they didn't need to to justify moving a guy one day 
has some. They can be super careful with him now. No blowback from fans, and then be... they can slow. They can slow his role. That hey, we're just going to ease him in at double but we A. We knew as that well. already. Yeah. We well, knew that. Arden, but now it's a much easier sell. Before the shoulder was even sore, Arden did this huge great much profile on the. Is it because all the responses that I saw to Arden's work, and this is the usual thing because Arden's work's always great, was oh yeah, this is interesting. It makes sense that he might start at double A and do three, four innings at a time to start. Well, especially now he's got a short. <laughs> Are you going to be okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's one of those things that Here. I have to really think about. Sore shoulder, Let's sore uh, soldier. We need to we need to reclassify a sore shoulder for you. What? What are you going to call it? I don't know. Shoulder inflammation. Th- yeah, does right. that make you feel better? I don't. No, but that's not the same thing. What about ouch? What He's about got an, an ouch on his shoulder? What about an impingement? No, that again. That, that sounds worse. way worse. Yes, but I'm trying to come up with something you could say. Stuff or no. it's like when I'm talking to my like almost two year old nephew. He only knows like six syllables, mm-hmm. so I have to ask him. Like he can count, but he can only count to two by twos. Mm-hmm. Two is the only number he could say. So any <laughs> That's question, an interesting way to any put it. question that I ask him, the answer has to be two. So I can get him doing math. Like what's four divided by two? What's one plus one? Like That's he's great nice. at that stuff. Um, That's what we have to do for you with this sore shoulder thing. Yeah, I'll just call it a shoulder ouchie. Anyways, uh, so he's out, I guess, until Wednesday where he will throw a side session, getting protected from the New York Yankees in Tampa. And a game, actually, that you can uh, hear on Sportsnet 590 The Fan tomorrow, 6.30. What? Here's my follow-up question, then. If we subscribe to your theory, Mm -hmm. uh, does concern set in for you that spring training little baby Alec Manoa wanted the Yankees start in Tampa, Ricky Tiedemann shying away from it? Scared it's money, don't him. make no. money. Listen, I bet you if you asked Ricky Tiedemann, he would have said, give me Aaron Judge today. And the Blue Jays are protecting him because, you know, he is like three years, four years younger than Alec Manoa was <laughs> when he took to the hill in, in Tampa at Steinbrenner Field and then mowed down the Yankees. And then, you know, lo and behold, made his major league debut at Yankee Stadium against a very right-handed heavy a New York Yankees team. All right. It that's... must be so cool to have. Sorry, I know you were taking us elsewhere, but every time I hear Steinbrenner Stadium, like to have a baseball park named after you, even if even if it's because like you owned it um, and and decided to <laughs> yeah. name it that. Yeah. It's like, not... <laughs> yeah. Like it's... I've always wanted. Um, when he was I... still alive, it was still called Steinbrenner yeah. Field. So like, that's a little, that's tough. Like I've been to Chicago a number of times and I've been to Wrigley a couple of times. Like I've always, and I never do it because it seems a little vain, but like I, I want the Murphy's Bleacher shirts, mm-hmm. like the... Is that what one of the bleachers are called? Murphy's Bleacher? Uh, the bar across the street that you oh, can like sit on the rooftop. With the, and, with the and, Latin phrase, what is it? I don't know, Murphy? No. Anyways, that's called Murphy's Bar. Okay. Yeah. And so they you have can, a shirt? I think you could probably track that down. Murphy's, but you can, and I've been there before, but it felt too vain to like have a shirt. Like if I feel like people would think I'm like making some weird pun on my own name or something like that. Anyway, how about, I, how about I wish I had the money and hubris of the Steinbrenners to just be like, you know what? This is Blake Field. My, my kid's name is Everett, and I, I, he wants an Everett Silvertips jersey. Mm. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, should probably get him one. All right. Poor Wyatt. No, <laughs> yeah, no team no, for him. Yeah. He can get Bray, Bray Wyatt, Wyatt gear. I knew yeah. you were going to go there with but, the wrestling. Well, he's in the news today, too. This could have been our top story. He is uh, reportedly maybe off the WrestleMania card with oh. the injury. So you want to talk about guys getting shut down I at don't. the wrong time of the year? No, I don't want to talk about that. Your son probably does. Yeah, probably. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, what else can we get to? There's a ton uh, of stuff. Bichette hit like 900 okay. feet worth of home runs today There's if you that, want to stay on baseball. Yeah, well, I, I did. There's two. There's another thing I want to get to. There's a whole to, bunch but, of quarterback stuff. Is that where you're going? No, let's do the bow thing then. Fine. 
Yeah, no, it's actually. You got to give me your rundown or something like that. Before, by the way, uh, in in addition to all the other quarterback stuff, uh, the 49ers just signed Sam Darnold. Oh, so, wow. Okay, his career continues. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. it begs the question, where's Dan Arnold? Because we have Aaron Donald. We have Sam Darnold at the home now. Where's Dan Arnold? <laughs> very, very good. All right, Bo Bichette hit two home runs today. He's killing it in spring. Nothing in spring matters except, okay, so you're a great person to ask this to. Correlation, causation. Last year, Bo had a horrible spring. Did not hit a single home run. OPS about 600. First half of the season, OPS about 700 and almost 100 games, 90-some-odd games. I, I outlined the numbers on my Twitter account today. Notably, was knocked down to seventh in the order and then went absolutely off in the second half of the season. You could not throw a baseball past him, and he ended up with the same numbers he always does, but he was the best hitter in baseball for the last... 70 some odd games of the season now Bo Bichette this spring is having a spectacular spring Blake does that mean that he's about to have a spectacular start to his regular season has he figured out how to be a more consistent baseball player I don't know that I'm going to take it that far I think it's it's pretty clear he's locked in you hit two first pitch home runs and uh you are just uh you know this dialed in right away I think it's I think it's great now in general most studies that we've looked at over the years say at least outcome-based results, spring stats don't matter at all. Mm. Um, your team's win-loss record doesn't really matter. Your team's stolen base attempt rate maybe tells you something. It tells you a little bit about what things are going to look like in the regular season. But individual player stat-wise, there's not a lot of uh, predictive value there. Having said that. When you are looking through potential breakouts, and we did this, I, I did this a lot with Santiago Espinal early last season when trying to figure out if his power push was real. What you want to look at is you want to expand the sample, right? So you want to take spring training stats and say, okay, that's only, you know, what's it been? Jays have played 17 games. That's nothing. God, so many games. That, I know, but there's, it's, <laughs> we're halfway there, man. Um, it, it's nothing. So how do we expand that sample? Well, you want to look toward the end of last year then too and, and see if what drove last year's success is also driving this spring success. And then the biggest one for me is you need to give me an explanation as to why that is happening. So if trying someone, harder in spring this year, because it, last year was like, it doesn't matter. Regular season, I can just uh, moonwalk into it. No, and but he, I, and he couldn't. I'm, yeah. So let's, you know, if we're trying to find a reason that April to July last year are different from August of last year through to now, um, it, it's got to be the why. And then you trace the why through the numbers and, and not that the numbers can prove or disprove it, but it can help you narrow down your focus a little bit, at least uh, direct you in the right direction. So with Santiago Espinal, for example, we had this late August slash September 2021 power increase. Mm -hmm. Then we had the explanation of, well, he put on a lot of muscle and strength in the offseason. And then he didn't have the, the best spring in the world, but he started the season very, very hot. And we saw that pitchers were pitching him a lot in his friendly zones. Mm -hmm. All of that adds up. If nothing else changes, I'm buying on Santiago Espinal's power growth last year. Now, what ha ended up happening is that pitchers completely changed their approach to him, and, yeah, and yeah. he couldn't catch up, and, and maybe we'll see if that's happening now. He had two more extra base hits on Saturday. Yeah, he had a great start last year, though, too. That's, I, what, that's what I mean. He didn't have a great spring last year, though. Mm, oh, but, but he oh, had a good regular. So I'm just, I'm <laughs> no, just trying to, it, you, no. you need to expand okay. the sample as much I, as you can, was, and then you need to see like, the reason. Yes. You okay. need to, like, we can, I can try to numbers it, but this is a case where you want to talk to, I mean, we can watch it and see it ourselves, but you want to, 
you know, the numbers will say one thing. Bo. You want to you want to ask Bo, or you want to talk to would extrapolate, a, a Joe Siddle, like, hey, Joe, on the J Central, Call this is up, Joe. This is what you were breaking down in your pregame segments in July of last year when Bo was struggling a little bit. What are you seeing differently now? I think the early, but Bo, Bo did speak to this in the middle of the season though, too. Mm-hmm. Talked about being more aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, and I would just my guess would be that that approach that changed his entire season in the second half of last year has now carried over into spring. And that's what we're seeing. And I would love to ask Bo again. You know the phone number. Bo, call in. (laughs) So my one pushback to that would would be that when Bo was struggling, he was also very aggressive still. So this is more about... But that's what he said. I know. I know. It didn't, like, to the eye test, it didn't make any sense because you can think back to some of the great at-bats he had late in the Mm -hmm. season. It was because it was getting deeper into counts and you yeah. couldn't get him out and he was flicking off those those strikes on the corner of the zone and then you know and, occasionally taking his walks but mostly it, getting base hits the other way it's and it's tough with a hitter like Bo because obviously the the hitting quality and, and how beautiful the swing is and, and the bat speed and hand to eye like all of that is great Bo Bichette in theory should be a very good two strike hitter right like he should be because of his swing mechanics and because of how good he is at bat to ball he's a guy who should be willing to sit back and wait a little bit and if you have to hit with two strikes you're comfortable with that however throughout basically his whole career he's done the most damage when he's super aggressive early in count so how do you how do you find that balance so i don't think it's just about aggressive or passive with him it's you you got to kind of dig into the the early count aggression and there was a there was a game last year that stood out to me and it was it's a random game because it wasn't even when his hot streak started. It was just a day in the middle of the slump where he looked great. And he's up against Hunter Green, the hardest throwing starter in baseball, yeah. and took two early count sliders for home runs. It's like, okay, that tells me he was aggressive early in those counts, sitting slider and doing a good job recognizing that and knowing what he could do with Hunter Green. Now, today, this I was... I remember a Jason Adam at bat against the Rays that was spectacular. You remember that one late yeah. in the season? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, like, this is... Really good hitters have multiple ways to produce, right? <laughs> yeah. That's how they become really that good hitters. that was what I was talking about. That was a long at bat, and he was able to, right. to, to take some close pitches, foul off some borderline ones. Right, and that's, again, where, you know, all else equal, a guy like Bo should be comfortable going later in counts because he can do that, Um he, to me, has always, and I remember during the slump last year when we would try to break it down on Jay's Talk Plus or when you and I would talk, it's like, how do you get him to be a little more selective with that aggression without changing who Bo Bichette is? Because yeah. it's not only that he produces really well early in the count, I think of the impact that that has on a pitcher once that pitcher goes through their pregame scout or has seen him a couple times during the season. And if a guy is jumping all over stuff early in account, that makes me so uncomfortable as a pitcher, right? Yeah. Like you have to be so precise and so careful with what you do early in counts then um, that I don't think you ever want Bo Bichette to go away from being a really tough guy to, to pitch against. So um, this He's is not going to take 120 walks. either. No, like, that's not his deal. And this is, which is fine because he leads the league in hits all yep. the time. Like hits are, hits are good. Each you wrote it and take walks either. Okay. Yeah, he exactly. Just had 250 hits a season. Um, all right. So how basically where I'm at with that is no, there's not a good statistical answer for yet for what he's doing and what we're pulling from it and what it means. But I think that the, important thing is he looks dialed in he looks very comfortable early in counts and yeah we'll see if if pitchers stop giving him stuff early in counts and he has to adjust we'll see how that goes but for right now there's you know he's not letting it get to that point so no and uh, i'm done doubting him because i will say that i i at 
that midway point in the season when he was getting knocked down to seventh in the order right around the the time that the managerial change happened i did wonder about you know whether guys have bad years and i just thought maybe this was bobichet's bad year and then he again went absolutely crazy last couple of months of the season and the numbers look identical almost across the board 2022 and 2021 leading the american league in hits yet again all right before we break you mentioned the the quarterback uh carousel that uh, appears to be moving right now in the nfl is the legal tampering period is underway for free agents aaron Rodgers, uh, aaron Rodgers, not a free agent notably but trey wingo still the only one to report this but trey wingo says a trade to the jets is done and we will talk to our pal peter king in the six o'clock hour about that but I, to me, that was the obvious and only way this thing was going to resolve itself. And I think everybody's happy. Honestly, I think the Packers are happy. I mean, having not even seen the return, I think the pa- Packers are happy. Having, you know, talked to Ty Dunn and his reporting on how Jordan Love has looked uh, in the times that they've had him behind closed doors and what the people in that organization are saying. And then the the fact that they keep having to go through this every single offseason. I think the Packers are ready to move on. And obviously, the Jets were just a quarterback away last season. I know they only ended up with seven wins, but they were over 500 before uh, they had to go back to Zach Wilson, who was abominable, and they went on a losing streak to end the season. This is a, a top five defense in all of the NFL. They were a bottom five passing offense in the NFL. If you can get that where if you can get that anywhere near like the the middle of the road, then obviously you're a playoff team and, and maybe more than than that, especially because we're talking about a guy who was an MVP two years ago. Two years ago. And the big question will be, how does Aaron Rodgers look after a down year and how does he handle or how does the locker room handle him? He's obviously had, you know, not off the field problems, but he's a. Uh, He's an interesting cat, yeah. uh, and this is his first time out of a Green Bay ecosystem that's been very much built around the enormity of Aaron Rodgers. So Garrett we'll, Wilson's not a shrinking violet either, right? Like he's a star, like a, a star in the making. Like somehow racked up eleven hundred yards receiving on a team that had no quarterbacks a, a season ago. But yeah, like he was a, wasn't exactly extending the olive, olive branch to Zach Wilson at points last season. He was not. And we'll see what happens with the running back position too, where, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, the the Packers were kind of always at their best juggling a number of different running backs in and out, which is what the Jets had to do last year, kind of because of injury attrition and Ty Johnson not being Ty Johnson um, or the brief look at Ty Johnson we got before he he turned into a pumpkin. So um, we'll see. It'll be, we'll have to see what the return is. I'm always curious with ones like Aaron Rodgers because you see even with the Jalen Ramsey trade on the weekend, it's like, oh my goodness, Jalen Ramsey got traded. Uh, The return must be awesome. And then it's like a fourth round pick or something like that. And it's, in part because the cap mechanics of all of this are difficult and you have to weigh that you're going to have 40 million in dead cap on top of trading Aaron Rodgers. Um, but this should be fascinating. And the, the AFC East is yeah lethal. Yeah. Uh, might've been a good idea for, for the bills to win the super bowl last year, uh, which they notably did not. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an absolute dog fight as long as well quarterbacks stay healthy outside of uh, Buffalo well in Buffalo as well but yeah the, and the, the Patriots probably aren't going away either all right we'll uh, we'll talk to Peter King after six o'clock but when we come back Canada one and oh after a mercy rule win over Great Britain yesterday they have the Americans in a late game in Arizona tonight we'll talk to Tim Leeper Team Canada third base coach next as the fan drive time continues Ben Annis Blake Murphy Sportsnet 590 the fan 
Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 59 of the Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Mercifully, there's a mercy rule at the World Baseball Classic because almost four hours of baseball only got us through six and a half innings yesterday. As uh, Canada, though, coming away with the 18 to 8 victory over Great Britain. 16 walks to Canadian hitters in that baseball game. Let's uh, talk to Team Canada third base coach Tim Leeper. How's it going, Tim? Good. How you guys doing? Uh, how's the arm? Do you need to, to have your shoulder like iced after uh, after all those runs crossing home plate? That was good. After after the last WBC, that was uh, that was that was that was a nice surprise. I you know I only get to coach third base probably like five times a year now. So like I hope I didn't use them all up in in one shot. But it was a lot of fun and it was uh, you know it was long. You hit the nail on the head there. But uh, it was an interesting game and and I really liked the way we played. We really swung the bats and did a lot of really good things yesterday. Yeah, is that a good way to like ease yourself into the tournament? Because boy, it it, it was not what we're used to seeing out of Cal Quantrill in, in the top of the first inning. But to bounce back so quickly and so effectively, um, how, where do you where do you put that on on the the list of like good ways to start a tournament? It seems high. <laughs> well, that definitely wasn't easing into it for sure. Um, but it's funny, you know, you you always and we we've been involved in all all of these, so this is our fifth one. And you always lay out these plans, and you realize the minute the game starts, every plan that you've kind of made and kind of set up for it goes out the window. Um, I just thought it was great. I felt horrible for Cal because he's he's the kind of the voice of our team. He's the guy that got you know everybody really excited to play, and he just had a, had a had a tough day. But the way we responded was great. With with Julian hitting the first pitch home run off the other guy, which really kind of like put them back on their heels. But it was it was just the way we attacked our bats. It was it was Tyler O'Neill shortening up and hitting a ball through the right side with. Fred Freeman on first base and and then the being such a pro being able to go first to third in that situation us taking 16 walks and, and not chasing pitches there were so many great things that happened I know the score was lopsided and the game was slow and you just know in, the, in, the, in these tournaments you can't take anybody for granted I mean, in the first one we almost lost to a high school team in South Africa and then the next day we were in the third inning against the USA with a lead of, uh, of eight nothing and we ended up winning eight to seven so it's just we know enough not to buy into the emotion things get a little bit crazy uh, but every game matters every game is winnable to every team and and we, we just kind of prepared for just the unexpected and i think ernie did a great job of managing a bullpen yesterday when, when you're starting get out of the first i think he did a great job of managing the bullpen and keeping it together tim you mentioned not taking anyone lightly especially in a tournament format like this where it's so short and there's so many so much room for weird things to happen and i don't know if you're looking at the out-of-town scoreboards right now but great britain just pulled ahead of columbia so um you're looking at after giving the u.s a hard time you guys obviously have a huge matchup tonight um i don't think the united states will be taking you guys too lightly but when you look at hey you've got one win under your belt the, the u.s already has a loss how quickly in a format like this do you start thinking about scenarios that could get you through um immediately <laughs> you start you should just trying to figure them out but at the end you know you you can get a little bit carried away with that and your best recipe is to just go win and that kind of takes care of everything and that's the way we kind of adopted when you get down to the last game and then the formulas are involved and you realize there's a chance for a tiebreaker you really really need to know the tiebreaker rules and what you need to do to get there but in the first games i i think your if your folk your focus needs to stay totally on winning 
winning every game because if you realistically if you get three wins you're probably into the next round and that that's kind of what our focus is right now all right explain the tiebreakers no i, I we don't, <laughs> no, honestly because like that you. pool that pool a thing when they were doing like the the run scored per outs recorded okay blake are you gonna explain this well i'm not gonna explain it but i do know that one of the tiebreakers is specifically earned runs at right. one point so if you guys are going to allow any runs tim make sure it's guys booting the ball around the park and not charging to your pitchers because for some reason the tiebreaker is only only on the pitcher's head, not on you guys in the field. Yeah. And this is why we employ the smart guys like Blake to stay around us because we're sure as hell not ever going to figure that stuff out. No, and uh, yeah, fingers crossed you won't need to because you know sweep the group, uh, including a victory over uh, the Americans tonight. I do want to uh, continue to talk a little bit about yesterday's game because there was some special, special moments. I mean, John Axford, who has like 15 family members down in, in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, you know, hitting what almost ninety five on the gun. What what was it like to be to be in the dugout for that? It was great, and you and you realize. I was just telling somebody like the, the. I was telling Shy this actually. The the greatest thing about this tournament. Sometimes you get to these tournaments and it's just a team and you love the camaraderie and nobody's around. This one has, like you said, actually has like fifty family members here. Everybody's here. His kids are old enough to really understand what he plays, and so it has so much more meaning in that family aspect and then maybe other tournaments do. And I, I went to the, re- the reception room yesterday where all the families were waiting for us um, after the game. And there, there had to be, you know, like a hundred, 150 people there. And so the, for us, the Canadians, like it's just, it's just got a really great feel of a family tournament and the vibe is, is absolutely awesome. But to watch X come off the mound, knowing his family was here and knowing his two boys were here watching him, and it's just to see, you know, see, see the joy in his face. Like the, the human element is, is awesome. And I think that's one of the things why we play so well internationally together is like we understand that we kind of get each other. And then it's those kind of stories that like make that help bring you closer together. One of the big stories, and this is Axford related, this is related to Philippe Aumont, uh, is some of these guys who have been around a while and maybe thought they were out of the game coming back into the fold. Um, you mentioned the family aspect, the camaraderie aspect, but how much do guys like Axford and Aumont who have been around the block help in kind of forging that relationship in the clubhouse in such a short window of time? Uh, it's great because everybody's kind of – it's funny. When you travel around in, in, in our world in pro baseball – Every, all the Canadians know each other, and even the guys that are new, like the Owen Casey's and you know the, the uh, Edward Julians. These guys, everybody's aware who the Canadian guys are, and we're always pretty close. But when you have a guy like Philippe, who's done so many tournaments for us, you know, you know, not just the big ones, but like the Pan Am Games and the Olympic qualifiers and things like that, they really help bridge everything together. And then when you get the big name guys, and they're like, and Axe is definitely a big name. He's had a great big league career and everybody respects him. And he's such a good guy. And you bring Freddie Freeman in. It's just like the blending of all these things together, which makes it really close. And what's really cool this time is, is there's some really young guys. And then you have Freddie Freeman there and, and you have Tyler O'Neill and everybody's just kind of together nicely. And, and it's, the, the conversations are great. Everybody's giving of their time. Everybody's giving of their emotion to each other. And it, it's great, not only for our team, like it's great for Canadian baseball. And it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's amazingly fun to be around. No, it's, it's super fun to watch. And yeah, you mentioned Casey, you mentioned uh, Julianne guys that are, are I imagine going to be mainstays in the, in the major leagues for, for years and years to come, but um, are just a, uh, you know, minor leaguers at this point. I mean, Julian, According to the broadcast, the first player ever in the history of this tournament to hit, to make his debut and the first pitch he saw hit it for a home run. Uh, how good is this kid? Like, what does the future hold for a, a guy that reached uh, double A last year for Minnesota? 
you know, he's got a real edge to him, and it's really good. I mean, he come, obviously he comes from Quebec and, and had, a, had a really nice college career. Um, I got to see him play in the Arizona Fall League this year where, where they have the best players available, and I thought he was one of the two or three best players uh, that, 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 that was in the league this year. And then I just love the way he plays the game. Like, he's gritty, and it's awesome, and uh, there's not enough good things to say about him. We, we had him at the Pan Am Games uh, a few years back, and he ended up hurting his arm in the process of, of getting ready for it. Uh, so this is the first time I've actually got to be with him in a clubhouse and see him play. But, like, he's, he's something you can really cheer for. Like I said, the grittiness in which he plays the, and the, the intelligence he has when he plays, like, and he can really, really swing the bat. That home run yesterday, was it was loud, it was fast, and they got out of there really, really quick. Uh, you got a 19-year-old going tonight in Mitch Bratt uh, against the Americans. Um, there, there's some precedent here. Adam Lowen, I think he was 19 or 20 when he made his first start in the World Baseball Classic uh, against the Americans in that in that victory. Uh, that's that's quite a moment for a 19-year-old to be in facing Mike Trout in in the first inning, Tim. I really impressed what I saw. First time I saw him pitch was the other day in our exhibition game, and he went up against the I think the Mar- Mariners or Cubs. But uh, it was impressive, and he, obviously he's not going to back down from the situation. And, and you hit the nail on the head with, again with the with the with the president. You know, Adam Lowen pitched that for, in the first WBC, pitched against the U.S. He was an A ball at the time, you know, and and, and he he got us a victory, pitched some, pitched three really good innings for us, and even uh, later on two. Two tournaments after that, Jamison Tyen was an A-ball pitcher and, and, and towed the rubber for us against the USA and that had a great outing as well. So what I love about him is he's not going to back down from the moment. He's got a really good arm. He, he changes speed. Um, it's going to be fun to go out and watch him play, and uh, it's going to be a really, really neat moment for him. But it's, it's also I'm glad he's on the hill for us tonight. And I know he's already in a system and there's maybe not quite as much on the line for him, but we've seen a couple of young players like that have big moments in this tournament already. Uh, I think of Duque Hebert, who uh, had that inning for Nicaragua the other night against the Dominican Republic, uh, struck out Rafael Devers and uh, Julio Rodriguez and Juan Soto and got signed to affiliate ball uh, not long after. He's he's 21. Do, do you wonder sometimes if some of these younger, less experienced guys not an advantage because obviously you want to be as good as you could possibly be against these top names, but you know, they don't, they don't know yet to be afraid of guys like that. Do you think there's an element of that when Mitch takes a hill tonight? No, I don't. Not, not in watching him, not in watching him go about his work and, and how, how he's prepared himself for this. Like he fits right in. I don't see it. I mean, it, listen, you can't prepare for this. There's absolutely no way. And, and having been involved in these before having been involved in like major league playoff games, like this, these are the first games of the season and they literally have the same exact feel as an as a American League championship mm-hmm. game. So I think it's only a feather in your cap, and, and it's, it's a great experience ship to be able to go through, through these things. And, you know, everybody, you know, I, I think it's just as nerve-wracking for a guy who's, who's 26 and maybe has a, has a big league career under, uh, you, know, you know, under his belt a little bit as opposed to these guys. And I, I, the one thing I find with every Canadian guy is when they're in this stage, they're at their best. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we do in the junior national program, because if they come up and play in the junior nationals, they're playing in world championships uh, in, in Taiwan in other countries around the world against really good competition with big crowds. So I don't, I don't 
feel like they feel like this is the first time they've ever been involved in a big situation. And I think it's just a testament to the job that Greg Hamilton does and getting the, you know, the junior national team exposure to these kind of events and, and, being able to play the game with poise and ease, and it's just they 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 set those guys up for success. You talk about poise. You, you draw the comparison to an American League championship game. Uh, a guy who's been through a lot of that, and and I'd imagine is helping with that that poise and that calm demeanor uh, alongside you on the coaching staff. Uh, how's Russell Martin looking in his uh, first foray into coaching? It's awesome, and it's great being around. And my very first tournament as a uh, as a team Canada coach was back in two thousand three. And he was our backup catcher, so that I, I think this is ages me a lot. <laughs> he went on to catch about eight thousand big league games, but it's really nice. And then having been with him in that situation, having him been being with him in Toronto through our great runs there, and now being with him here, it's just it's like it's come full circle. And he's really enjoying himself. He adds a lot. I mean, and when he speaks, you know, you can't help but listen to him. And there's, there's a voice of, of of experience and calmness to him, and and it's great. And I think you know what's really cool too this time. You know, we, we our whole infield is from Quebec. You know, obviously Russ is from Quebec, and and and, and the Quebec con- is probably our biggest, you know, contention of of, um, of of players from there that that we've had. And it's just a nice coming effect. So I mean, the the fact that he can bridge, you know, so many different people, and then and 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 just just the experience level he brings, like it's great. It's great having him. Now he did run out on the field and didn't shake hand with the coaches before our first win yesterday, but. We're gonna we're, we're we're gonna work on that. We have to work on that a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, uh, yeah, we see him out on the field shaking hands uh, tonight. Um, hey, Tim, great win yesterday. Best of luck tonight against the Americans. I appreciate it and I enjoy it. It's it's gonna be fun. Yeah, we will. Thanks, Tim. There is uh, Tim. Right, bye now. See ya, Tim Leeper, Team Canada, third base coach. Uh, as they uh, hammered the Britons yesterday, eighteen to eight in. Seven innings, they have Lance Lynn and the Americans tonight. Mitch Bratt, the 19-year-old, getting the start for the Canadians. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the question mark surrounding this team and their ability to get through this pool stage will not come down to offense. I think this team can score. Like, yeah, yesterday, obviously, it looks like they can score. But look at, at some of the pedigree of some of the players, not not the, like, 23- and, and 20-year-olds, like Owen Casey at the bottom of the order and, Edouard Julien at the top of the order. But, yeah, you got Freddie Freeman, and, yeah, you got some guys with some major league pedigree in the middle of the lineup. The the question marks arise around the pitching, which, I mean, maybe in five years, Mitch Brad is well-established as uh, a top-tier major league starter. Man, you thought you'd get a little bit more out of Cal Quantrill yesterday, a guy that's been a control pitcher his entire career, had a great season a year ago and just couldn't find the zone in the first inning, but yeah, those middle innings are gonna, they're gonna be looking at your boy John Axford again, right? And Philippe Omal. I don't know. I I would hate to be the elbow tendons on those guys after yeah. uh, the layoff they've had and certainly a, a intentional ramp up over a long span of time here, but that's your first adrenaline in a little while that's your i know omont's out there playing rec league hockey and stuff to to get his uh to get his adrenaline levels up but uh, i do wonder if they're careful with a couple of the older relievers um i'm i'm fascinated to see how brat looks tonight though uh 19 year old lefty and then uh for anyone who doesn't know in texas's a program last year 245 era over 18 starts yeah and he had a bunch of strikeouts like he can strike some people out like i think the the control issues um, would be the thing to look out for for him. Had a walks per nine over three, which is you know not out of this world. But yeah, a guy that can strike some people out, throws hard. We know he's going to be geeked up for 
this baseball game. And, and again, the Rangers are only limiting him to 50 pitches. So, I mean, best case scenario, really, you're getting him two innings of work. Um, but yeah, things go swimmingly. That's two scoreless and you're up like 10, nothing after two innings anyways. <laughs> and then we mercy it and we go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, so as we continue to keep an eye and again, we wouldn't normally do out of town scoreboards and stuff, but this is a very short tournament where any minor upset can swing who's getting through or, or how the seedings uh, wind up. Great Britain's still ahead of Columbia right now. Canada with a win tonight would be the first two-win team in Pool C. Well, yeah, because Colombia already beat Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Mexico has a loss already. The U.S. has a loss already. Of course, Great Britain 0-2 heading into this one. Um, it's big. And obviously, it, uh, beating the United States would be monumental, whether Canada gets through or not. Um, we all remember when they beat the United States in pool play before, even though they didn't move on. That's, mm. that's one of the marquee moments for Canadian men's baseball at an international level. Uh, you want to do that on its own, but also given the way things have played out in that pool, you win tonight. You're kind of in the driver's seat from here, dude, this is it. And, and baseball is, is meant to be played in a larger sample, right? Like even the playoffs is a small sample and it's cool. You get, you win a world series cause you went on a, a, a month long bender where you were really, really good. I mean, the Astros were good during the regular season as well, but like there's been some outlier world series winners because that's not generally how we evaluate the best baseball team. So what? This is fun? And yeah, could you beat the Americans with a 19-year-old? Could Mike Trout strike out a bunch of times against guys who are out of pro baseball? Of course it could happen. They barely beat Great Britain 6-2 in their first game. Can't wait. Uh, 10 o'clock tonight on Sportsnet. When we come back, NFL's legal tampering period now open. Aaron Rodgers rumored to be on the way to the Jets. We'll talk to our pal Peter King of Football Morning in America next. The fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis. Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.